Welcome to Lung Cancer Concierge, the podcast of the International Association for the Study of Lung Cancer, a global organization dedicated to research and practice advances in thoracic oncology. You can find all our podcasts on SoundCloud and ISLC.org in the newsroom. We are your hosts, Dr. Stephen Liu and Dr. Narjus Duma. Hello, everyone. This is Dr. Narjas Duma. I'm the Associate Director of Cancer Care Equity and a medical oncologist at Dana-Farber Cancer Institute, as well as a member of faculty at Harvard Medical School. In this episode, we're going to talk about some very exciting data about cell therapy and lung cancer. Cell therapy continues to advance in hematology and oncology, we most gain seen in hematology malignancies. But we now see promising data in thoracic cancer. In this episode, we will learn from experts in the field and discuss some of the exciting data that's emerging. Our guest today, we have Dr. Ben Creelan, Associate Professor of Medicine at the University of South Florida, a thoracic oncologist at Moffitt Cancer Center. Dr. Creelan is a clinical and translational investigator with a particular focus on immunotherapy and cell therapy. He has led early efforts developing adoptive cell therapy for thoracic malignancies. Thank you for coming, Dr. Creelan. Thank you, Narjus. It's a real pleasure to talk about what everything's going on. And second, we're also delighted to welcome Dr. Pasad Abusumili, Deputy Chief and Attending of the Thoracic Service, also the Vice Chair for Translational Research in the Department of Surgery at Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center. Dr. Abusumili is a pioneer in cell therapy for thoracic cancers and had led efforts targeting mesothelioma. Welcome, Prasad. Thank you. Hello, everyone. Good to be here. Look forward to our discussion. All right. So we're going to start for the basis because cell therapy is quite complex. So Ben, what is cell therapy? So essentially, we have cells in our body that are capable of rejecting foreign proteins. This is usually mediated by either T cells or B cells or natural killer cells. And we know that most of the abnormal cells that we produce get eliminated by these by our immune system. If only we could develop these cells to attack existing cancers, then we could potentially get durable rejection elimination of those abnormal cancer cells. Now, we've always been trying to pursue immune therapy using a variety of different ways, but using actual live cells to fight cancer is essentially what cell therapy is. And there's so many ways of doing that. There's T-cell receptor recombinant T-cells, there's CAR T-cells, and then there's tumor infiltrating lymphocytes or peripheral blood T-cells, all trained against cancer. So Ben, in summary, this therapy is trying to train or develop our own cells to attack these thoracic malignancies. Is that correct? Exactly. Those cells are abnormal. They are different from our normal cells. And if we can only get our existing immune cells to attack our cancer cells, then that would be, that's basically the goal of of cell therapy, using live cells to eliminate cancer. So to our listeners, this is very different to other therapies in which, you know, they attack all cells like chemotherapy or they attack cells with specific mutations like target therapy. Cell therapy is specific for your cells or cells are being designed to attack these cancers. So when I hear about cell therapy, I think of CAR T cell and hematology. But in thoracic malignancies, this may be very different. Prasad, can you share with us what kind of cell therapies are being developed for thoracic cancers? I think Ben briefly touched upon it. 
to broadly one is the tumor infiltrating lymphocytes you just mentioned about targeted therapy so the thought process is if the t cells the t lymphocytes the immune cells already identified cancer and infiltrating why not resect that tumor expand them ex vivo and give it back to the patient so that's worked very well in melanoma and there are some trials in the lung cancer as well and the second is the t cells the immune cells when they attack specific cancer cells they do by tcr t cell receptor so why not genetically engineer these t cell receptors for example targeting an antigen called wt1 so the by genetically engineering and introducing them into the t cells and give it back to the patients these are the tcr cell therapies similarly the what we know from checkpoint blockade where we augment the you know, patient's own immune system to target cancer we know the t cells are finding some neo antigens new antigens to target on the cancer cells that the neo antigen specific t cells so again once we know what those antigens are why not spare, genetically engineer those cells and again expand them and give it to the patients that the neo antigen specific t cell therapy what we learned from hematological malignancies that success came from is cd19 antigen targeting uh, car t cell therapy chimeric antigen receptor they again using genetic engineering we can uh, forego certain requisites that is required in the normal immune system and directly target the cancer cells car t cell therapy that many of you are familiar with so broadly these are the types of cell therapies that are being investigated for translation in lung cancer thank you prasad you know for sonos that train before car t cell therapy came around all of this is just mind blowing and extremely interesting so as we move to the conversation i think ben if you can help us understand how these tumor infiltrated lymphocytes work in attacking cancer well every tumor if you look closely has t cells inside of it These are like the soldiers that rushed to the site of a foreign invader and they got stuck. And we don't know why they're stuck there, why they didn't eliminate the foreign invader, but we see them under the microscope. And so with TIL, we resect that tumor, we culture those T cells using cytokines like interleukin 2. You know, this is cultured outside the body for several weeks and we grow them into an army of billions of T cells. Maybe 50 billion T cells, 100 billion T cells. And then we infuse it back into the body. Now, in order to make space for those new T cells, we have to give lymphodepletion chemotherapy. So that allows for the what we call the homeostatic expansion of those cells in the body. We know from old days, decades ago, well about a decade ago, just infusing cells without that chemo does not work. The cells do not stick around. And we also give interleukin 2 afterwards to help promote the engraftment of those cells in the body. Now we know from trials that Dr. Rosenberg's surgery branch did in the 80s that patients with metastatic malignant melanoma have had durable complete responses dating back to the 1980s, which is phenomenal. And you know, we we really attribute that to the memory T cell, the self-renewing long-lived capacity of memory T cells. normal t cells only stick around for about 6 to 8 days in our body right but memory t cells once they engraft and differentiate or transdifferentiate they can stick around for 60 to 70 years in our body patrolling creating new copies of themselves and that's why you really only get chickenpox twice i mean sorry once you only get you know most of these infections once 
maybe you only need to see the COVID-19 vaccine once, right? And then you might be immune for the rest of your life. So that's really the exciting thing about any cell therapy, including TIL. So those are very two interesting points that I would like to discuss a little bit further with the two of you. The first one is the lymphodepleting chemotherapy. So for our listeners, the lymphodepleting chemotherapy are high-dose chemotherapies that are given to patients for this cell therapy. So Ben, why is this lymphodepleting chemotherapy and how is it given and when is it given to patients? Yeah, we usually give it for about three to five days before the treatment. And again, it's a high dose of cyclophosphamide and fludarabine. And you know, there's been other ways of doing it, but generally speaking, the more you give, the better the cells engraft, the fewer lymphocytes there are to begin with, the better the new lymphocytes stick around. But you know, there's a lot of toxicity with that. It makes you, all your blood counts low for weeks. And you know, it's a pretty big chemotherapy to go through. So this is a chemotherapy, and I apologize for simplifying this, is a chemotherapy that kind of we restart, like we do it for transplants, it restarts your, your bone marrow. Is that correct? So the cells will be able to engraft. Exactly. Although it's not myeloablative the way we do for allogeneic transplant. It's not quite that big of a dose. So this is very interesting. Is this lymphodepleting chemotherapy usually given in the hospital? And is it given before or after? the product is made? So we usually, we produce the product, we have it shipped to us. So we have it in hand. We would never want somebody to get it if they don't have the product made yet. And then we'd usually give the therapy as an outpatient, but very close monitoring. And we may admit the patient if they're feeling sick in the midst of it. Thank you. And I think it's very important to disclose all aspects. You know, we're talking about the science, but it's a whole process and planning and logistics with cell therapy. Yeah. And your hair falls out with this, your you're feeling sick for you know several days, and certainly your blood counts are low for weeks. It's not a cakewalk. It's not trivial at all. So, Prasad, as we're talking about this cell therapy, you know Ben mentioned that this T cell memory is stay is stay around, and that's one of the benefits of cell therapy. I saw myself some patients that were treated with CAR T that they were years out, and still we know evidence of disease. So what are the unique aspects of CAR-T for thoracic malignancies that you have seen in some of your research? Yeah, you're exactly correct, NJ. We call, we like to call them as living drugs because unlike other drugs which get eliminated by pharmacokinetics over a period of time, the T-cells mother nature has built in such a way when there's an antigen-specific stimulation, these T-cells proliferate, expand, and as Ben mentioned, some of proportion of which them retain the memory and live within our body. So self-expanding, dose-expanding, and long-term persistence makes these T-cell therapies unique. And the CAR T-cell therapy, chimeric antigen receptor T-cell therapy, as we mentioned before, worked uh, very well in leukemias and lymphomas. So the, any CAR T-cell therapy, the basic aspects is, comes from what we learned in the immunology in the last 50 years. We know that the T-cells are extremely specific to a particular antigen, and we understand the CD3 zeta T-cell activating domain and the pathway. That's one aspect of it. And the second is we do also know the co-stimulatory requirements for the T-cells to proliferate. But in our body, the T-cells, the T-lymphocytes require help from antigen-presenting cells and other co-stimulatory like dendritic cells to be able to, to be presented the antigen and also the co-stimulation. So now that we understood these molecules and the pathways, 
the chimeric antigen receptor is built in such a way essentially has three components a single chain variable fragment that is derived from an antibody this is the moiety that recognizes the antigen and binds it and then cd3 zeta activation domain once there's an antigen specific binding the t cell is activated to produce perforin granzyme and kill the cancer cell and we are able to engineer the co-stimulated domain within itself ideally cd28 or 41 bb so these are the essential components of the car t cells that are also being investigated in the lung cancer to lung cancer specific antigens and the next generation is the armored car t cells where we can discuss later to be able to potentiate further than the components i just discussed thank you prasad for sharing that with us and as we're getting to understand this you know a lot of our therapies are in a shell and we order them and the chemotherapy gets mixed but that's not the case for cell therapy it requires process already in the product so prasad let's start with car cheek because as what you were talking about just now is how is the process of getting the cell product like let's see the patient walks into the door and it's part of a clinical trial how is this done yeah i think that's where a lot of development has been done with cd19 car t cell therapy the protocols and optimization in the hospital setting typically let us say a lung cancer patient comes in obviously we do initial screening to make sure the patient tumor is expressing the antigen that we are going to target with the car t cell therapy once the patient seems to be eligible we refer them to blood bank in the blood bank they undergo apheresis where the t cells are isolated and sent to the manufacturing facility depending upon the hospital setup once the patient is completely eligible then the manufacturing process starts this takes anywhere between 2 to 4 weeks and uh, nowadays most of the time it can be done within 2 weeks once the manufacturing is done some of the quality metrics are tested and the product is frozen until the patient is ready as ben mentioned receiving cyclophosphamide or uh, the lymphodepleting therapy at this point patient is either admitted or if it is a depending upon the site of administration and route of administration most of the time patients are admitted and following lymphodepletion therapy given back the car t cells as a transfusion so this is the kind of setup for the autologous car t cell therapy thank you for sharing that with us and all honesty i training hematology and oncology at mayo clinic And I remember when I already knew I was going to be a thoracic oncologist at the end of training, I was like, oh, I'm probably not going to see this. But here we are talking about cell therapy. And what I thought was like, I will probably won't see this in lung cancer. It is moving to lung cancer and it's extremely exciting. So I think right. some of us need to do some refreshing on that. I think it's uh, exciting for all of us, the cross-fertilization of our knowledge and what we learn. And again, I mentioned this before. A lot of this development is thanks to kickstart by Hema oncologist to the CD19 CAR T cell therapy. So as we talk about the CAR T and how is it sent to the facility, Ben, is there any difference for the tumor infiltrated lymphocytes? Is it the process different or you follow the same protocol? Oh yeah, so there's a big difference in that the tumor infiltrating lymphocytes require either a biopsy or generally surgical resection of a tumor, which is a little bit a bigger operation whereas most of our cars or tcrs or peripheral blood antigen specific t cell studies simply require an apheresis which is where someone sits down in a chair for 2 3 4 hours and has a long blood collection where white blood cells are filtered and collected that is a fairly simple procedure whereas the surgical procedure 
not everyone has a tumor which is safely accessible for a surgical biopsy. So the logistics involved in collecting that tumor and sterilely maintaining it all the way to a production facility are a bit more complicated. And as we know, for thoracic oncology, getting to the tissue is always an issue compared to other malignancies, right? Like we always pray that we have enough tissue for all markers, biomarker testing. I guess this requires more planning. Yeah, absolutely. And so the most of the patients that are, are eligible for these studies are patients with a, an easily accessible lymph node, like a supraclavicular, i.e. neck lymph node, or a peripheral nodule on the edge of their lung that's safely accessible through a video-assisted thoracotomy procedure, which is a procedure that may require overnight stay in the hospital, but you know it's not likely to require removing an entire lobe of their lung or you know doing extensive surgery. Well, thank you for sharing that with us, Ben. And as we think about immune-mediated therapies, we generally see poor results in patients that have no smoking-related driver-positive cancers, like in the case of EGFR mutant, no small cell lung cancer. Does these apply to cell therapy? Had you seen a group of patients that would benefit the most for these types of therapies? Yeah, I think that was the most surprising thing from our initial trial is that patients who traditionally I would never expect to respond well to immune checkpoint inhibitors had durable responses, complete responses in one case to cell tilt therapy. And I think the reason why is gets back to that note that there are T cells in every tumor if you look close enough. And it's just a matter of culturing them and enriching for them, activating them and giving them back to the patient free from the suppressive tumor microenvironment that can potentially allow them to do their job. And then as a follow-on, we do have another trial planned specifically in oncogene-driven lung cancer that I'm currently working through the regulatory process right now. I think that's really an exciting option because these younger patients with oncogene-driven lung cancers like EGFR Alcross one they're very motivated to try to go for something that has the potential for a durable remission. At the end of the day, the pills we use for these work well, but acquired resistance is mostly inevitable. So being able to offer a different option at the time of progression is an attractive thing. And that's very exciting. I particularly see mostly young women with lung cancer. And you you always worry that after target therapy stops working, chemotherapy is still there, but it's not not the best solution, if possible, for some of these patients. Yeah. How can you kill that cancer stem cell, that slow-growing, quiescent cancer cell that's constantly releasing little clones of itself? And it's always hiding in the background. You know, it's like a splinter or a a sleeper cell. (laughs) And the TKIs pills like Tegriso doesn't kill those cells, right? Chemotherapy probably doesn't kill most of those cells that they're too slow growing. But maybe an immune cell that recognizes that it's aberrant abnormal might be able to actually kill that stem cell, that cancer stem cell. This is truly fascinating. And I hope in a few years, the three ops go back again in this podcast and talk about, oh yeah, this was just FDA approved. That would be a great follow-up for this initial (laughs) data. Right, right. Prasad, you're conducting a phase one study on CAR T-cell therapy in mesothelioma. What are the unique aspects of the disease, mesothelioma, that suggests that cell therapy could be a good therapeutic approach? Yes. So we conducted phase one, phase two, and we started a new phase one as well with the next generation CAR. For mesothelioma, initial studies, I focused on trying to understand the tumor immune microenvironment. 
So when we did that, both in uh, lung cancer, non-small cell lung cancer, and also pleural mesothelioma, what we observed and published is that solid tumors, it's always the balance between affect our immune response, the T cells that recognize the cancer and trying to kill, and the B cells. And this is being suppressed by the cancer by exploiting immune suppressive mechanisms. At that time, although it seems mundane now, but at that time, it was surprising to find that even in a multivariable analysis, if we promote, if we tilt the balance by promoting the effector responses against suppressor and there's a prolonged survival, and this is independent of other clinical radiological pathological factors. So even though mesothelioma, for example, Elizabeth Zaffe group from Johns Hopkins published about 5,000 solid tumors, of all the solid tumors, mesothelioma has the least very low pdl one expression and a low tumor mutational burden, typically what we call as a cold tumor. But can we, if we, the tumor immune microenvironment studies we did provide the rationale, if we can promote the effector responses, perhaps by these CAR T cells and tilt the balance, and then we can reduce the tumor burden and ultimately hope to eradicate. So this is the premises for our phase one study to develop CAR T cells in mesothelioma and to deliver to the tumor bed. This is extremely exciting. And I think, you know, now the immunotherapy is part of the treatment of mesothelioma. We're getting more and more attention to a disease that for a while, we didn't have a lot of upcomings that were positive besides early incitement with EDL3. So, Prasad, when I was looking into this trial, it mentions intrapleural delivery, which is a delivery of the therapy we in the pleural space. What is like for a patient? you know, to do this, this procedure or this therapy? Yes. In the, one of the phase one studies, we delivered uh, directly into the tumor bed intrapleural delivery. Again, uh, when we published the clinical, uh, looking at a large series of mesothelioma patients, what is unique about this cancer, as we know, is regionally it's aggressive. It's invasive within the chest cavity to the critical structures, but distant metastasis are not that common, at least when the patients present to the clinic. So that's where the thought process came in. For a regionally aggressive disease, can we deliver the immunotherapy CAR T cells regionally? Because in the mouse studies and also from the human studies, we know when we engineer the T cells and obviously we activate them, add cytokines for the expansion and proliferation, these activated T cells, when we're given intravenously by the peripheral blood, they get sequestered, stuck in the lung for a few days and slowly trickle down to the tumor. And the slow trickle down to the tumor, once the tumor learns the, and it's under immune attack, then the tumors are notorious to prevent T cells entering them. So why not administer directly intrapleurally because intrapleural access can be performed in these patients by either catheters or intervention radiology. So typically patients, if they have a pleural effusion fluid in the pleural cavity from mesothelioma, we insert a catheter, drain all the fluid, and use that catheter to give the CAR T cells. But majority of these patients may have had a previous surgery or previous radiation therapy or may not have this effusion, the fluid. In that case, we collaborate with our intervention radiologist by looking at the scans, identify a spot where the intervention radiologist under local anesthesia can insert a needle or a catheter and inject the CAR T cells directly. And we do know both in the patients and the previous mouse studies, even though we're injecting in one place, the T cells, mother nature made them such a way they quickly distribute throughout the tumor and also enter the systemic circulation. So it's a regional delivery to kickstart a systemic immunity. 
This is truly fascinating. And I think that's the fourth time I have said fascinating in this podcast for the first time. So Ben, you had a recent publication in Nature Medicine about tumor infiltrated lymphocyte treatment for anti-PD-1 resistant metastatic lung cancer. Can you please share with us the overall results of the study and what are the next steps? Well, our overall results, again, we targeted patients with stage four non-small cell lung cancer, and the overall results showed that about you know 25 to 30% of patients had a substantive durable benefit with it, either without requiring systemic treatment for you know at least a year after the cells, or in some cases, complete responses. And so we basically have provided the incentive for several pharma companies to now launch registration programs of TIL in lung cancer. And those trials are currently activated and available for patients. And the other thing we found was that the TIL in lung cancer that we culture is able to recognize those abnormal proteins that cancer expresses. So one of the big downsides, I'm going to be honest, you know, transparent, one of the big downsides of TIL in comparison to CARS is that when we culture T-cells from the tumor, at the end of the day, we don't really know what cancer proteins those T-cells are targeting, if any, right? Whereas with Prasad's CAR cell, CAR, at least he knows what percentage of, of those cells are targeting mesothelin, what percentage of those cells are targeting other specific cancer proteins. But I have no idea when we manufacture the TIL whether any of the cells actually are targeting cancer proteins because we're basically just growing them and giving them to the patient. Now, there's, there are crude ways of kind of guessing at that. But what we did was we retrospectively, looking backward, did some testing, and we found about half of the T cells that we cultured were capable of recognizing tumor neoantigens unique to that patient. As you might expect, those patients did do better overall compared to the ones who didn't uh, have those cells detected. Of course, it's a very crude look, but that's one of the things kind of takeaways that we learned. And we really do need to do better, obviously, with TIL. At the end of the day, if you know we can get a third of patients or 25% of patients getting these great responses, how can we can enrich for that? And I think starting with making sure that the T cells are specific for that patient's cancer is a good start. Because a lot of the T cells that we culture are probably just bystander T cells there for the ride. They're getting cultured, but they have no specificity to that patient's tumor. And you know they're just kind of extra. Thank you for explaining that. And I think, you know, as we continue to learn, we are going to be looking to the updates from your team on this therapy. So we briefly talk about lymphodepleting chemotherapy and how this can lower your blood counts for a long time. But what are the most common toxicities that you can expect beyond the consequences of the lymphodepleting chemotherapy? I'm going to start with Prasad, and then I will get Ben. I think as Ben um, mentioned before, it depends on the, I guess, doses and uh, how strong is the lymphodepletion. The common toxicities, the nausea, some of the hair loss, and those things are already covered. In addition, uh, following lymphodepletion therapy with the T-cell therapy itself, obviously there are toxicities that we observe, document, and treat. I'm not sure, NJ, if you want me to go into cell therapy-specific toxicities uh, in addition to lymphodepleting toxicities. Yes. So I remember, if I remember correctly, when I was in the hematology service for CAR-T, there was also the worry about the CAR-T after they're infused and, you know, the cytokine release syndrome and 
do you see the same when you're treating thoracic malignancy? Is it the same worry that I remember I needed to ask patients to sign their name every day to see if their handwriting was still there and their capabilities of doing so? Right. You're exactly right. So initial stages, we have done that. But to date, uh, fortunately, the toxicities are not as severe as we have seen with CD19 CAR T-cell therapy. Initially, infusion reactions are obviously always a possibility, but we have not seen in many of the studies, it's not seen. In the early stages, if the T-cells are activated uh, during the manufacturing process, or most importantly, if there's on-target off-tumor toxicity, specifically in the lungs, that can be a severe toxicity. That's something we always are mindful in the initial stages, on-target off-tumor toxicity or pulmonary toxicity from activated T-cells with some of the cytokine release. We have not seen that, uh, again, in our trial and most of the trials. But once the T-cells enter the tumor, once they recognize the cancer antigen and start expanding, proliferating, typically that's when we see some evidence of cytokine release syndrome. This can vary anywhere between day 5 to day 14 with the peak of the T-cell expansion. Patients either have a low-grade fever of 101, 102, headache, some chills and rigors, but the, most of the time it is around grade 2 to grade 3 that can be treated well. But the neurotoxicity which you touch is not seen in most of the solid tumor trials to date. And some of the infections, I think with lymphodepleting therapy, I think in hematological malignancy patients, there's a lot of concern about opportunity infections. But again, that's not common at all in uh, solid tumor cell therapies to date. And I think that's great for audience to learn that, like as me that I know in bone cell therapy, is that appears, you know, the fear that we had about these therapies, the toxicity is not as, you know, many of us train on. And thank you, Prasad, for changing, for explaining that to us. So Ben, for TIL, for TIL, so tumor inf- infiltrated lymphocytes, are there any unique toxicities that these patients may experience? Oh, well, certainly the, the two biggest, the actual cells themselves are the easiest part. That's like, you know, it goes in in an hour. The patients may get some fever and shakes at the time of the cell infusion and or a little a couple hours later. And that part's the easy part. The previous chemotherapy, of course, it's five to seven days prior to the cells, causes your blood counts to be low for several weeks. And then that predisposes you to getting these, you know, infections and then, and then requiring blood transfusions for a week or two or longer. And then the interleukin-2 we give afterwards, I think is especially hard for the lung cancer patients or mesothelioma patients, et cetera, because, you know, their lungs are already compromised by their disease. And the interleukin-2 causes this capillary uh, leak where fluid leaks into the spaces where it's not supposed to be like the lungs or the tissue of the leg, and that makes them short of breath. So I would say almost everyone feels a little more short of breath during the interleukin-2, and the worse your lungs are to begin with, the more side effects, the more problems you have with it. And so that's by far, I'd say, the biggest rate-limiting step with this whole, with this whole therapy. I've got to say that, you know, the advantage of the TIL is that there isn't any off tumor on target side effects seen. It's extremely unusual. Whereas with CARs or TCRs, anytime we're targeting a lineage specific marker, like whether it's anything that's potentially expressed in normal tissue, we usually see some off tumor on target toxicity. For example, when we targeted MART with TCRs, there is a small percentage of cells in the you know, cochlear epithelium 
which expresses MART, right? Because it's like melanoma, it's a melanin expressing cell. So some patients got deaf from that. There's a little bit of expression in the, you know, the retinal epithelium. And so some patients got blind. When we targeted um, MAGE, there was cross-reactivity to Titan in the heart. And so, you know, with one particular trial, patients got heart failure, you know. So the, the targets in solid tumors are by far the rate limiting step, I'd say, with recombinant cell therapy. Finding the right target for solid tumors, when we're talking about recombinant cells, is by far, I'd say, the biggest breakthrough that we need. And I'm not sure, you know, whether, whether we found it yet. Thank you for sharing that. Unfortunately, we are learning so much from the two of you, but we are running out of time. So I'm going to get to ask you two more questions before the end of this episode. So we know that to every drug, unfortunately, there are mechanisms of resistance. To do cell therapy treating thoracic malignancies, Prasad, had you seen, you know, potential mechanisms of resistance? And if there's any difference between no small cell and mesothelioma? Yes, I think, as I mentioned, uh, tilting the balance and uh, giving effector more T-cells with their stills or cars, but at the same time, the cancer also using the escape mechanisms. One thing we quickly learned, we asked the question whether the CAR T-cells, if they're overwhelmed by the tumor burden, do they again develop checkpoint inhibition, the PD-1, PD-L1 pathway? And we quickly learned that, yes, the same pathways happens with the CAR T-cells as well, and the TILs. So we are addressing that by using checkpoint blockade therapy already that is available in the clinic or even using the genetic engineering mechanisms so that we can make CAR T cells that are resistant for checkpoint inhibition and then functionally can persist for a long time. So in addition, uh, whenever there's an immune response, it is followed by a suppressor immune response. That's how we protect ourselves from inflammation and wounds. So the following uh, the T cell therapy, cancer cells promote immunosuppression by accumulating macrophages, myeloid cells, sequestering some of the cells in the stroma, high stromal content. So these are the, some of the mechanisms. And when we target a single antigen, it is also possible if that antigen is not required for the cancer cell for its aggressiveness, then the tumors can develop antigen escape. So these are some of the mechanisms that we already know and already being addressed so that we can go to the next stage quickly. Thank you for sharing that. And my last question is, so if you're a patient or caregiver and is interested in learning more about cell therapy and thoracic malignancies, what is the best place for them to find information in the internet? For example, where can also providers find information to refer patients for potential clinical trials in cell therapy? I will start with Ben. So I think one of the best resources is the education site, which SITC has, S-I-T-C. So if you go to sitc.org, S-I-T-C-A-N-C-E-R.org, there's education videos, which tell us, tell you all about cell therapy and how it works, and also provide some links to various clinical trials. Prasad, where can patients or caregivers find information, for example, for clinical trials and mosotelioma in cell therapy? I think the comprehensive site is the clinicaltrials.gov, which we all approach, and that will has a good search engine that can isolate the cell therapies for lung cancer and mesothelioma. And at this point, uh, as we all know, being investigative studies being done at the major centers, and majority of the these centers have cell therapy services or at least cell therapy coordinators. I think calling them as well give a quick and a comprehensive information uh, that may be specifically useful. 
for his individual patients. So I think patients can find information in clinicaltrial.gov at your institution sites that mention the clinical trials as well as cell therapy and discuss it with their oncologists if they're interested in learning more or know if this is an option to start with. So thank you so much to our guests, Prasad and Ben, for first teaching us so much about cell therapy and getting us very excited about this new line of therapy for thoracic malignancies and that the field of thoracic cancer research hasn't stopped and it won't stop. And we continue to learn to help our patients, you know, not only with first-line therapy, but what happens after that. So thank you, Prasad and Ben, for coming today and meeting us. Thank you so much. Great. Thanks a lot. This was really enjoyable. Thanks to everyone for listening to another episode of Lung Cancer Considered, the official ISLC podcast. We release podcasts twice a month, and I hope you take a listen and you can provide feedback as well as potential ideas by reaching us. Thank you, everyone, and have a great day. Thank you for listening to Lung Cancer Concert. You can find all our podcasts on our website, islc.org, in our newsroom, or on SoundCloud. Please take a moment to rank, like, write comments, and share your favorite episodes with your colleagues. 